Hola, me llamo Ashley, soy inglés. Estoy hablando español y escuches The Fluent Show. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. My name is Kirsten Cable and I'm here with you today to answer another listener question. This question is about my own story, so there'll be a little bit of storytelling. And looking back, I found some very interesting insights which are hopefully going to help you become fluent native-like fluent in any language of your choosing. Why not? Let's be ambitious. Before I get going, I've got a few announcements for you. This is episode 96 of The Fluent Show, which you will find episode notes for at www.fluent.show slash 96. You will find the notes for any other episodes under the same numbering system, so hopefully that helps. We do have a short summer break coming up, so episode 97 will come as scheduled and then 98 will come a week later so that we can take some time off, have a little bit of a R&R &R, and prepare perhaps for episode 100, if possible, because episode 100 is coming. It's round the corner. I am so excited. When I kicked off this podcast, I never thought you, listener, would be listening to me in so many corners of the world, on your phone, on your computer, on your tablet, however you are listening. And I'm so grateful to you for tuning in. There are thousands of you. And again, it's not something I would have ever imagined. But here we are. The Fluent Show is turning 100. Yes. And I'll try and put a special episode together. We've got a few ideas and one of them will come true. I also wonder whether you guys would be interested in having a little bit of merch from The Fluent Show. So something cool like a t-shirt to wear, maybe a little keychain, some stickers or something like that. I'd love to put something together to celebrate. And of course, to support the show. So if you do wear podcast t-shirts or if you would quite like to show off your multilingual prowesses to the world, please get in touch. You can tweet me at the Fluent Show and send in your ideas or send me pictures of what you've got that might be a fan article or a cool piece of merch that you enjoy from any podcast out there. One more point. You heard at the start of the show, Mr. Ash, hablando en inglés, no, hablando español. Ashley is actually Lindsay Williams's husband, so he got roped in to say something in Spanish, and I'm so excited to have him on the show. Gracias, Ashley. Now, I need more. I need to hear more from you. So again, wherever you are listening right now, could you contribute to the show? Would you like to hear yourself on the show? You can do this very easily by recording a short intro with any kind of voice messaging app or simply just on WhatsApp and sending it through to me. You All you need to say is hello, what your name is, where you're from, which language you're speaking, and then something to the effect of you're listening to The Fluent Show <laughs> and I'll put it into the show. I'm so excited about the languages we've already featured, Esperanto and 
just so cool Spanish right now and Guarani and I've got a really cool Hebrew greeting coming up but I want more and I need more of them because otherwise it's just going to be me putting on funny voices and nobody wants that. So do send me your intro, you are very much invited to do this. Before I get to this week's question, take, let me take a second and just say thank you to our sponsor. As you know, this episode is brought to you with support from the one and only Close Master app. A lot of language learning apps are out there. Like it's, it's undeniable that there are many, many language learning apps and a lot of them kind of do the same thing as in here is a bit of a course, I'll show you some pictures and then, you know, like you put a word to a picture and if we're lucky, three of them will stick and then you've learned some vocab and yay, great. But what of those of us who are a little bit more out for a challenge? You know, like where you really want to feel like you're learning something new and you don't want to waste your time. If you want a language learning app that delivers and keeps you hooked and coming back because it's quick and it's rewarding and it's easy to use, you've got to get on Close Master. Learning with this app is fun, it's addictive and it's free and open to a huge range of language learners because... There are over 50 languages and you can pair them to over 190. And that was the last time they counted. So maybe even more. 190 language combinations. So if you want to learn from one language that you already know well and then into a language that maybe you know less well. So maybe you want to learn Esperanto from Spanish or you want to learn German from French or you want to learn Guarani from Indonesian. This app can do it. Woo! It comes with iPhone and Android apps and it's completely free so you can learn anytime and any anywhere. To support the Fluent Show, please do go to closemaster.com slash fluent show and that's closemaster spelled with a Z where you will find a bonus video and I have just refilmed this video so it's a new one. If you've watched it before and you want to kind of see what changed or anything like that, go to closemaster.com slash fluentshow. And there's also a special voucher code for you to use when you try out their pro membership, which makes the pro membership a lot cheaper. So that's Closemaster. Always worth checking out. I'm so happy. I regularly get feedback from various language learners of all kinds of target languages who tell me this is awesome. Thank you so much for mentioning it. And I can only say thank you so much for Closemaster supporting the Fluent Show in the way that they do. Thank you so much. All right. Without further waffling, <laughs> let's head to this week's question, which comes from Twitter. Yes, you can submit questions on Twitter. And you do this simply by talking to me at the Fluent Show or at Fluent Language. Doesn't matter. I'll see your message. The question comes from at Achelius. And here it is in a nutshell. She says, I'm so curious how you learned English to IELTS 9 even before you went to the UK. Could you talk about that a little bit in future episodes? Okay, let's do it. So in case you don't know what IELTS 9 means, IELTS is a language test and it's a pretty formal and widely accepted test. So it's a standardized English language test that you can take. And usually you would take the IELTS test or the TOEFL test if you want to go to university in another country. And for me, that's why I took IELTS, because I had to show that my English level is a certain level. And IELTS is a good way of doing that. 
and the general level required on the IELTS scale, which goes from 1 to 9, uh, goes up to 9, 9 is the best, the general level required is 6.5 or maybe 7 if your university is, is particularly fussy. So if you are kind of in the upper third of IELTS, you're doing extremely well and you're good enough to go to university in your target language. That's what they usually say. I took the IELTS test back in 2002. That was before I moved to the UK. And my result was IELTS 9, which is relatively rare. It means expert user. So in, in, in essence, that just means a C2 level in English. And I wanted to start telling you about my own story of learning English with a bit of corner data, so to say. So here we go. I was born in 1983. My parents do not really speak a lot of English and there certainly was never any English in my household when I was growing up. My formal English lessons in school started in 1993, so that's when I was 10 years old. And before that, I could not have said a sentence in English, except maybe if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands or something like that. So I took from the age of 10... Roughly five times, 45 minutes a week of English. That's what my school offered. With no breaks, no big breaks from this until 2001. And in addition to those five times, 45 minutes, there would also have been homework and perhaps a few extra engagements. I took the Leistungskurs level in the years 1999 to 2001, which in Germany means you're sort of in, it's, it's basically high school and you've declared this one of your focus subjects. Mostly at that point, I was doing literature in English and grammar drills from what I remember. And this was not unusual. Out of my year of 105 maybe students, I would say 90% took the Leistungskurs in English. It was It was just the thing... That, that everybody could do. So I wasn't unusual in that. I was unusual perhaps because I got really good grades. And this was still book-based. We didn't watch a lot of videos. We didn't really have, you know, this was still like your teacher brings a tape player into the class kind of stuff. So it was quite unusual to have a lot of audio in, in class in English. I also studied other languages in between 93 and 2001, as many as my school would give me. I did not live anywhere near a library. I'm from a village of a thousand people. So even our local library was a half hour drive away. I had to go whenever my mom would drive me. And I cannot remember them having any kind of foreign language section. So I never taught myself. I just took school classes. After I finished the Abitur, which is German high school diploma, I went to train as a language secretary, which is a sort of intensive training for becoming an admin in any kind of European international environment, really. This was, so to, after 2001, eight years into my studies, that was the first time I had a native speaker as a teacher on a regular basis. And we did a lot more practical applications than I'd ever done before because it was a preparation for the workplace. So I did things like translation into German and into English and letter writing and reading a lot of news articles and analyzing them. I regularly started communicating with native speakers around 2001 because that's when the internet became sort of affordable enough that you could maybe spend half an hour a day on the internet without your parents just shouting at you about phone bills. And in 2001, 
I also took my first ever flight. Um, we went to um, my best friend and I went to Ireland for a week, and after then I traveled to the UK a little bit more often because the cheap airline kind of era had started. So early in the 2000s, it was quite, it became affordable and I happened to be sort of 17, 18. So I was also at the right kind of age to go on a lot of cheap flights around Europe. And for me, that was like new and exciting. I applied to an English university through the UCAS system, which I'll put in show notes. I visited a lot of universities before I went to university Again, cheap flights made it a lot easier. And I also went to gigs. So I went to see my favorite bands in in cities like Glasgow, Manchester, maybe London. I, I went to a good amount of gigs. So I started traveling to England regularly. I moved to Preston in 2003, did a bachelor's, worked for a year. Then I did a master's in Manchester at the University of Manchester, which is a separate episode that you could listen to. And then I kind of settled in for life in the UK. During my bachelor's, I didn't know for sure if I was going to, you know, what I was going to do afterwards as a job. But I think I already knew there's nothing f for me in Germany. So I always prepared for kind of life in England. And that's, that's I would say, corner data. So in other words, if you're going to think about years or study hours I have never ever counted up the study hours I did in English but hang on a sec I'll play you some music perhaps and I'm gonna go and use a calculator okay assuming five times 45 minutes a week that adds up to three 0.75 hours and then I added a rough average of two hours of homework which makes 5.75 hours and trust me when I tell you I did as little homework as I could get away with most of the time. If we take that as a 40-week year and say okay I did this for eight years we get to a total hour total if I'm doing this maths correctly of 1840 hours. So that's a lot. But trust me, that is eight years of language learning. And that kind of explains a little bit of how I got good. But of course, school English doesn't work for a lot of people. And I know lots and lots of people who came out of school and didn't speak as well as I did and weren't you know, you might have done languages in school and you might not be fluent at all. So this is this is a big thing that I would like to point out to you and tell you is that study hours kind of mean something, but not everything, right? It depends on what you do in those hours. And actually, all those formal hours don't count all the extra stuff I did. So let me tell you 10 truths about my English. So... First truth is I learned English in school pretty much just like you if you're not an English uh, native speaker. But was it just like you? Number two is I was completely obsessed as a teenager from the ages of, what, 12 to 18 with Britpop, with England, with everything like that. My favorite book 
I was so into into music. My favorite book was High Fidelity by Nick Hornby. And I cried when they made a film out of it because I felt I was destined to make that film. How dare somebody else make a film out of this? I wanted to do that. I wanted to be Rob from High Fidelity, which is in essence a grumpy record store owner in London. And now in 2018 and the record industry is basically dead. Aren't we all glad I didn't do that? Number three. And this is where it gets interesting. I always knew, somewhere deep down, I would be good at this. I just knew it. It was like I decided that English would be my thing. I don't really know why, but I just never doubted that I could do this. I knew I knew this would be good. And English was, I got a lot of, that, that seemed to pay off. You know, the feedback I got was good grades. So English was my A plus, A star, whatever you call it, subject. Throughout school, I could suck at a lot of other stuff, including other languages. Like my, my French grades were not amazing. But it still felt like in English, I can get an A. No probs. So I was always, I was always in contact with my peers. And this is another thing, is that when I was learning English, I was learning it and my peers, the people I compared myself to perhaps, were the people in my class who were also learning English just at the same level as me. And then perhaps my teacher and I didn't really know any real native speakers and it was just so inconceivable, you know, in my tiny village to run into an English person. And these days you compare yourself to better speakers all the time. Because you listen to polyglots and you, you know, like you get a lot of useful tips. But there's also that level of comparison. It's really easy, no matter which language you're learning. Like if I'm thinking about learning Russian, it's, I can instantly think of five people out there in the world who have learned Russian who are so much better than I am. And yes, they have spent so much more time on it, but I don't see that time. If you're in class with your peers and you're learning together, you spend that much time together, you see the time they're putting in, you see the time you're putting in. And you're comparing like for like. So that's important in terms of confidence. Number four, I read song lyrics, magazines, books from the school library, things I wasn't even interested in just because they were in English, because I think I was just interested in English. It's it's funny, I, sco I, I scold, very lovingly scold you lot, you listen a lot, when you say you want to read Harry Potter, and that's very lighthearted, because I get it, read what you love, you've got to, but you also, I think, have to, if you're going to really transcend all of that, am I good yet, level BS, if you're really going to transcend that, you have got to obsess about your target country. And so what I'm saying is read about your target country because you're into it. Try. So number five, I tutored. So do you, do you remember those hours I just added up? I added to those hours by teaching English to people who were a lot lower level than I was. And this was as a teenager, so I think I started maybe when I was 14 and carried it through all the way to 18. I did this in French as well. So I had more English exposure and actually consolidated all of the lower lessons. There was just no way I was going to get something from earlier wrong because I'd explained it to people as well. Number six, moving to England. So now I'll get to after I moved to England a little bit and, and what maybe changed. 
I did a lot of recon before I moved there. It wasn't easy. I was scared and I didn't move at 18, even though I'd studied English for, for eight years, because I was not ready. But in terms of my learning before, that didn't matter. I always dreamt about it. I learned English from day one as if I'm going to move to England. I just decided this was going to happen, even as a, as a little one. Even though at like 15 or 13 years of age, I had no way of knowing what my future would hold, I decided that this would be my reality in the future and this was my big, big dream. So that, that really was the engine I had underneath of learning English. Before I took the IELTS test, I wasn't nervous, but I did prepare for the test. So if you're preparing for a test, my tip would be to respect that test. I tested in 2002, so nine years after starting to learn English and after one and a half years only of having native speakers. So in my opinion, you do not need a native speaker around you from day one. I've said this before. Tip number, or point number eight, I guess, truth number eight. <laughs> I did do a tiny bit of accent work way after I was fluent when I'd moved to England because I stood out in a crowd and I started to feel insecure. People recognized me as a foreigner. My confidence ever so slightly wavered. And this makes me feel like that comparison point is so important because comparing up, comparing yourself to people who are better than you is poisonous. It can be, it can be so, so, so bad. The accent work that I did do was mostly listening and repeating and kind of trying to listen to myself and listening to what I do wrong. In conclusion, the, the truth, I guess, is isolation from better speakers and isolation from native speakers mixed with my strong desire to find everything that I was interested in mixed with a wonderful, encouraging English teacher. Not, he never, never turned to me and went, Kirsten, you are particularly great at this. But I just felt, I always felt safe and encouraged to, to practice. I mean, I learned English from a man born in 1938, so it's got very little to do with maybe my life, you'd think. But it was just somebody who understood what we might be interested in, who had a deep love of uh, English and American literature and wanted to share that. And that's important. I think when somebody shares with you what they're excited about, that makes them a great teacher. The textbooks actually stopped around 1998, but there were still grammar books always. There were always vocab lists. And I never worried or knew about my level as such because I was as good or better as everybody around me. So I kind of felt like I'm doing fine. So in other words, isolation from people who were so much better than me actually helped me lots and lots and lots and lots. My Twitter question asker also asked me a few specific questions. I'd like to get into those now. Question number one, what is it that you did differently from others? So I guess that because not everybody hits IELTS 9 before they move to the country, you know, I must have done something different. But to be honest, I don't think I did that much different. I just loved every single English lesson. I was glad when I was there. I put so much English around me that it was impossible to not understand it. I slept with a dictionary by my bed. 
And the dictionary, again, you, your tools don't matter. My dictionary, I still have it, is a 1970s edition that my mum had when she was in school. I also have a reasonably good ear because I've always choir sung and I think that can help with accents. The thing perhaps that I did differently to everybody else and that, that might be practically doable for you is that I just thought I was going to be awesome. The quest there was another question about who did you practice speaking with and like I said before, I spoke English to my friends, I had pen pals, but really in the first eight years of study, I traveled to England like three times, I didn't know any native speakers. Really, I, I never, I always spoke because I spoke to myself and in school, but I never, like I didn't have a language exchange partner or anything like that, it would have been completely unthinkable. This was kind of good for me because I practiced with fellow learners and also I became really good before I, there was any pressure to speak around me. So I, I do feel, looking back at that, that this advice of always going out and instantly speaking to a, to a native speaker, actually that's not, that's not my personal experience of learning English. I did, of course, have a lot of native input, but I got there by speaking to, to other people. The key is to speak doesn't matter who you speak to <laughs> like I would speak English to my grandma who didn't understand a word I, I didn't care okay now um to come to any kind of conclusion about this so I've told you this story of how I learned English and it's all true it's obviously my memory so I'm sure I'm leaving a lot of boring bits out is any of this good advice for you I don't know if any of this is actionable as such because you can't Lucky, lucky for you, really, you, you're not learning English in Berncastle in 1993. So you can't maybe build every single piece of what I mentioned to your strategy. Although tutoring or mentoring someone at a lower level is something I would highly recommend. That's really good practice. I didn't worry about how I was learning, whether my study method is the most effective, whether I should speak from day one or anything like that. I just did what I did, did my thing. The difference, the thing I would advise you to really check out is the mindset. And I wrote eight mindset tips that I'm just going to sort of fire at you at the end of this podcast and make of those what you will. I think this is what made me really good at English. And they are, number one, obsess. Number two, continue. Right, I sound like this in English now, but I have been learning English for um, 20, 25 years. Tip number three, listen. So obsess, continue and listen. Number four, be confident. From day one, know deep down that you can do this. Just believe that you are awesome. And in fact... Everyone I've ever coached or tutors, I have believed that they are awesome. And that is not something I've had to like tell myself. I can just see it in you. Do not doubt yourself. Do this for the love. You are awesome, 100%. Tip number five, drill that grammar. Read the books. Read lots and lots of books and use all you have. Tip number six, think long term. This is really important. I never, I never wondered about when I will be fluent or am I there yet. Why? Because I had no one to talk to anyway. 
and I was thinking long, long term. I was thinking about my life when I am my life when I am 30 and I'm so cool and I'm living in London with my record store. <laughs> you know, just do it for some future fantasy life that sounds awesome for you. Number seven, sleep with a dictionary by your bed. Number eight, don't overthink it. So I'm just going to tell you those eight tips again. I think these are my best tips for learning English, I suppose. Number one, obsess. Number two, continue. Number three, listen. Number four, be confident. Number five, drill the grammar, read the books. Number six, think long term. Number seven, sleep with a dictionary by your bed. Number eight, don't overthink it. I hope this was interesting for you guys. It was, it was very interesting for me to look back and think about what I can actually take from my story and use as advice for somebody else. I love, always love receiving your questions. I have so many Q&As to answer. Don't forget to send me an intro so you can hear yourself on the show, just like Ash at the top en Espanol. And that's it from me. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. One more thing, if I could ask it from you, please, please, please. Do reviewers in iTunes, those reviews matter. Those reviews matter. One day, I want to be up there. I don't know, visible. <laughs> I don't even want to be number one in the charts. But I want the Fluent Show to be seen so I can reach out and help more language learners out there. You can get in touch with me at any time with the email address Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk. You can tweet me at the fluent show you can find me on instagram and that is kirsten underscore fluent goodbye Ooh.